0: Welcome in to another episode of Turn the Corner, a Detroit Tigers podcast. I am Kieran Steckley. With me, as always, is a man who, whatever corner he's standing on, is the hot corner. He is Cody Stavenhagen. How you doing?
1: Doing all right, Kieran. What's <laughs> up? How are you?
0: <laughs> feeling great. Feeling great. I love uh, after our little vacation from from the pod, we're just firing these off, and uh, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun to be back in the mix doing this with you and talking Tigers baseball, and the anticipation is just it's getting real. I, I keep kind of looking at the calendar. I'm like, oh, we only have a couple more podcasts before Cody's, you know, down in Florida. You know, that's exciting. It's an exciting time to talk about the Tigers, and again, that sort of winter spring. Optimism of just like baseball is coming around the corner, you know, it's great. And we have a lot of fun doing this. I hope people have fun listening. But at the same time, you know, we got to talk about concerns with the team, moves that are made, and lack thereof. And I think it's appropriate to start this podcast with, uh, I don't know how much to say. There's not really... A plan that is presented for us at third base. And then it becomes, what is the concern level? How much do you trust the process, trust Scott, trust AJ? On the other side, how much do you just kind of go in thinking this is not good and then let that, you know, kind of prejudice your mind going in? So it's a lot of questions with not a lot of answers that I can come up with. What is... Do you have anything on this? Because uh, anything I would say would be a stretch.
1: What, what do you mean by that?
0: Where is the plan? What is the plan? Yeah, yeah. Should we? Should we? Should we be concerned, or just be like it will work itself out?
1: I think we should be concerned. I've got a, a story, more of a, a short column, running uh, on Monday about this, and it's kind of been the, the Tigers literally just don't have a third baseman and it seems like they are not going to have a third baseman and the team's thinking per what I've been told is that you know that was kind of done intentionally do you want to go sign devote several million to kind of a subpar option and in in defensive Scott and AJ the third base market was not very good this offseason um Or do you want to leave this job for the taking and essentially cross your fingers and hope one of a long list of players seizes this job? Uh, Nick Maton, acquired in the trade with the Phillies, I think could be the guy who wins this job. Could be interesting. They just signed Cesar Hernandez on a minor league deal. Um, I think that was a good addition to give some depth, some support for your infield. But uh, none of this changes the fact that Third base is really emblematic of, of where the Tigers are. They're a long way away. Um, we are deep into this this rebuild that didn't work under Alavila, and there is still just not a third baseman. Uh, I don't necessarily think this is Scott Harris's fault. I think it is a sign of the mess that Scott Harris inherited. Um, if there were to be a criticism, it does raise the question, why did you non-tender Jamer Candelario... Yeah. If you're not going to replace him with a better option. Um, I, I was all in favor of non-tendering Jamer. He wasn't worth $7 million based on his performance last year. But I look at the list of names currently who are going to be competing for this job. And I think Jamer Candelario is probably more proven or I would feel better about him than any of these other guys. Uh, I guess it would have been the final year of his contract, so does that really help you long-term? You can get into that conversation. The fact that Tigers don't have a third baseman is another sign of, look, don't tell me you're not punting one this season when you didn't really try to go get a third baseman. And another thing that bothers me a little bit is if this was the plan, it should have been – I've asked about this multiple times to Scott over the off season and got, are, are you confident in you're going to get a quality third baseman – Yes, uh, you know, are Mayton and Matt Veerling in the mix at third base? Yes. Uh, really, there's been no on-record, like, answer from either Scott or AJ about here is the actual plan for third base and why we're doing this. I've gathered a little information from, from other talks with, with team sources, but uh, that makes me think, did they have a better plan and it didn't materialize? I don't know, maybe Scott pulls off some brilliant last-minute trade. I like. I don't know. Um, I just think it's bad. I, I just think we are too deep into this to be in the same spot where it's like, well, maybe this guy has a better year. Maybe this guy has a better year. Uh, one of the complaints was you know, the Tigers have a bunch of fourth outfielders and fifth infielders in the Alavila regime. Well, Alavila is gone, and it's going to take Scott time to reshape this roster, but as it stands right now, You sure got a lot of fifth infielders, and here we are again, just minus Harold Castro, minus Willie Castro, minus Jamer Candelario, still just crossing your fingers and being like, well, maybe this guy can be, uh, you know, exceed projections a little bit.
0: Yeah, so a couple things. I can 100% buy into, we had an idea of what we wanted to do, we talked to player X and player Y and contractually it didn't make sense for us to do what they wanted or we tried we looked into acquiring this guy and it didn't make sense long term to to do this i can 100 buy into that at the same time this the Jamer move and then the subsequent actions or inactions that have followed followed i should say have lent themselves to being very easily second guessed yeah It's very simply second guessed. Uh, it doesn't take an expert to feel like, you know, you could have had him. Is he worth the seven two seven five whatever million? No, but you create a hole that was not really filled, and you could have kept him, still made every single trade you made, and like been able to sort of let it play out that way. Like they haven't not acquired third base talent, they just haven't acquired surefire MLB ready third base talent. And I'm looking at like the Jay hen move. Like I, I think almost having Candelario in tow and then Jay hen, you know, find you know, working his way through the minor leagues. And then after the year you, you can sort it out then to me, it just, it didn't seem like this had to be an either or thing. It could have just been all, all together. And who knows? Like again, with the second guessing you, Jamer could have had a nice start, and then you could trade him, and then you could get, like, Jamer was in asset, in my opinion. Not a great one, but something that could be used. And you got nothing for him. He's going to, what, Washington, correct, uh, for around mm-hmm. $5 million, if my memory serves. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Washington's a good organization. So, like, if they liked him enough for that, You know, that makes me think like there is, they they believe there's still something in the tank for Jamer. And, and again, just to reiterate, you could have just done all these things and kept him. You didn't have to non tender him, in my opinion. I think it's probably, it's probably the sole sort of like series of moves or just that move on its own island that had this been still during the Al Avila regime, we would just, Twitter would be flooded with just killing him for non tendering an everyday third baseman uh who has at least something of a track record of hitting, as frustrating as it was, a track record of hitting and then not replacing him. Like that he would be absolutely eviscerated and be a punchline. Yeah, I mean, I you agree.
1: Know. I agree. Would you feel better about this team right now if Jamer Candelario were still in the roster? I think I would feel a little bit better about I would feel amazing if
0: he was on the roster and these same trades happened. Yeah,
1: and you had Malloy as a backup. You had, yeah. Yeah, I would like, that to me
0: would be like, you know, the stacking of good, good, solid baseball moves. No one was going to kill him for keeping Jamer. And to my knowledge, he wasn't like a problem in the locker room. Um, maybe it was, maybe it was just kind of like, you know, part of the clearing ties of, you know, those kind of guys like that were just kind of fledging around a little bit. I get it, but you, you would like to think there'd been a little bit more and look, maybe there's something we don't know. There's probably a lot of things we don't know, but at the same time, I'm always somebody that I respect people that know more than I do. But at the same time, I think you ought to consider like what moves are easily to be second guessed and for people to be critical of. And this one is that to a T. So I don't. Yeah, it's just it, 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 if you were just a pessimist just for like the Tigers will never figure it out in general, like Illich can't run a team, you know, that kind of thing. This would be fueling you and I don't, you don't want that
1: as it stands right now. The Tigers payroll on opening day is going to be lower than it was last season. It's not a great indictment of ownership. Um, Also, I think another way to look at it, long-term, you can still feel pretty good about the Tigers at third base after the acquisition of Justin Henry Malloy, which is a good trade by Scott Harris, Mm -hmm. Colt Keith coming up through the system pretty fast. That's all encouraging. Agreed. Um, And I don't know. Look, maybe they hit on Maton, or maybe Cesar Hernandez has a bounce-back year, or maybe Ryan Kreidler is the guy we kind of thought he was more last season. I think it could be fun to watch A.J. Hinch manage kind of this revolving door at third base, using a lot of platoons, mm-hmm. playing the matchup each day. Maybe it works out. It's still not good if you just don't have a third baseman and no. are just Again, seemingly well, we just okay with not with having a third baseman. When you had a third baseman and you, you got rid of him yeah, over a, a couple million. The, the,
0: the, the s- the same mo could be done I with never baseball, I
1: never like thought I would be on this podcast defending Jamer Candelaria but right here we are cuz right. you didn't replace him with anybody <laughs> Nick Mateson would be a terrific yeah. fifth infielder. You could feel good about that. Nick Mateson saying you're going to be our everyday third baseman? A lot of room for questions. What if that doesn't work out? So that's my piece. That's my that's my complaint with the current construction <laughs> of the Tigers roster.
0: Well, I'll tell you, I mean, we okay, so we mentioned it a couple times, uh, really the only news news of uh, of the week with the Tigers was bringing in uh, Cesar Hernandez on a minor league deal. And I tell you, I'm looking at, let me just say a joke here real quick, then we'll kind of get seriously about this move. Uh, so I went to his Wikipedia page, and there's a thing on his like personal info, and I'm just kind of reading through it, and it says he's just i'm paraphrasing he's a spanish speaker who was like in you know didn't speak that much english for much of his career and then he learned english a little bit and now he can speak a little bit of english but he's still like more comfortable speaking in spanish i was like why is that in his wikipedia page (laughs) like that's that seems like something that's really not relevant like good for him for learning a second language or whatever but it wasn't like insightful at all so i thought that was weird you could do that for almost anybody who works professionally in a different country that doesn't speak the native tongue. But anyway, um, looking at his track record a little more closely, this guy's going to play like, that's the only, that, that was like, I know it's a minor league deal or whatever, but I'm looking at him. I'm like, this guy looks, I don't think he signs here without an indication that he's breaking camp and going to Detroit. That's, that's just my opinion. I mean, he's, I know he's 33. Um, I don't – his best years are probably behind him. But, like, given the track record and what his numbers could be, I mean, we did last week the Baseball America projections. You want to hear some for Mr. Mr. Caesar? Uh, He's projected to hit 242. That's with 516 at-bats and nine home runs. 45 ribbies, a couple steals, you know.
1: Per Tiger standards, not bad. (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah, I was like, you, you, you get a side of God and Miley deal, hit nine home runs. I think he exceeded uh, Spencer right Torkelson's
1: now. projections. So uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I think Cesar Hernandez is is uh, definitely a favorite to make this roster. I put on Twitter, I thought it was a sensible signing. And of course I got a couple people. Mm-hmm. Oh, how was this? It'd be more sensible to, you know, and it's like, yes, obviously it would have been like, it would have been, you know what solves a lot of problems if you would have somehow signed Carlos Correa and you moved Javi Baez to third and then everything is great. <laughs> That's just not the current reality that we are living in. And so this is, you know, we're, we're just going to talk about things that are rooted in uh, reality. You want to solve the cert- third base problem? Well, you, you should have given Carlos Correa any ungodly amount of money he wanted and just not even looked at his physical and called it good. Um, that didn't happen and was never going to happen. So here we are. Cesar Hernandez look proven big leaguer oddly enough he hit 21 home runs in 2021 and he hit only one home run in a full season of at bats last year really weird power decline uh i don't know what went into it i'm sure we'll talk to caesar and he'll say he made some adjustment that's gonna change everything uh i think in reality his his power should be somewhere between one and 20 home 21 home runs Won a gold glove at second in the past. His defense has really gone downhill the past few years. He's like negative eight defensive runs saved at second. Uh, Sounds to me like an indication the Tigers think he uh, might be better suited for third, where he doesn't have to move as much. I think we'll see a lot of Cesar Hernandez, and I'm glad they signed a proven big leaguer for some depth, for some support on the infield, rather than let's try out Ryan Kreidler, and if he hits 190, Oh, well, just keep trotting him out there. Um, <laughs>
0: uh,
1: at the same time, he's, he's a reclamation project. And so, again, you have Ryan Kreidler and Hope Kreidler becomes something. Hope Andre Lipschitz becomes something. Hope Cesar Hernandez bounces back. There's a lot of hope. There's a lot of if, and, and but uh, around the Tigers infield right now.
0: Basically, your entire time
1: covering the team, you could make. That's all it's been, and it never, it never it doesn't change. It's, the names change, but the the situation doesn't change. What if Willie Castro, you know, plays better? <laughs> than, like,
0: yeah. yeah, still remember that home run off Gerrit Cole in spring training? <laughs> what a different world we thought we were going into. Uh, <laughs> well, speaking of you know situations, and you know, a guy who I would say has changed. For the better and has continued to evolve in terms of his role on the team is Eric Haas. We talked about him last week as being one of the team ambassadors at this uh, Tigers community outreach thing that they did. Uh, by the way, this weekend the Rangers are doing one at Globe Life, like a full-on Rangers Fest. So, you know, they're they're excited over there. That's what happens when you spend $4 billion yeah. in two years. Um, but anywho. Eric Haas is, is going to be an interesting case study this year because since we've been doing this podcast, all he's done is level up. I, I was going to say send, send's too strong a word, but level up uh, for a catcher, guy who comes in and, you know, it's kind of like a pinch hitter and maybe defensive versatile. Obviously, he's got the pop with the bat to more everyday catcher role, and now the now, the starting catcher, He, if you had to say who is the starting catcher, knowing that there's going to be a platoon, you would say Eric Haas. And his weaknesses up to this point are some that don't mesh with what Scott Harris is going to try to build this team with. So as much as he is the team's favorite son, because he's a Detroit native, this is also like a situation for him where it could be a not for long if if he doesn't improve in certain areas so uh, you wrote about him this week in the athletic and he, he, he seems like a guy who recognizes all these things that I said and to his credit that's that's important and he and if you know what to uh, what to improve on and how to get there and then you have the trusted coaching slash front office performance science leadership, all that stuff. like it, Everything's out there in front of him for him to succeed and really continue to buck the the, the labels that have been given him on his career. And to be honest, that's, that's worth recognizing and somewhat celebrating. It's a hard game. It's hard to get there. It's hard to grind out in the minors. It's hard to not be considered a major leaguer and then to finally get your shot and be successful enough that you could be an opening day starter. Good on him for all that. But he might be on the list of top three guys that I'm interested in this season to see what he can do.
1: Yeah, I think it's a huge year for Eric Haas to really prove himself on a whole other level. I loved the self-awareness Eric Haas showed uh, when when we were talking to him, acknowledging that he's been labeled a a bat-first catcher and thinks he can become an above-average receiver, but knows he hasn't been good at it, knows he hasn't necessarily valued receiving as much in the past. Uh, he thinks that's going to change. We'll see how much of a difference that actually makes. Who knows? Um, I've Haas has never been a great defensive catcher to me, but this is one of these things that the more I look at it, the more I actually kind of like what the Tigers are doing, okay? If this Eric Haas was worth okay. 1.2 F-War in 21, 1.3 in 22 with, you know, about 350-ish uh, plate appearances. So as it stands right now, we could see Haas getting more 400, 450 plate appearances. And what if he hits 15 to 20 bombs? What if he plays a little bit of our defense? Is he a two-war catcher? I think if the game is played on paper, you're probably going to get more value out of Eric Haas than you would that long list of mediocre catchers who were on the free agent market. Um, Now, the caveats to that, this game is not played on paper. A.J. Hinch really likes a catcher who can manage the game, who can be a good receiver, who can be a good pitch caller. These are the areas where Haas has a lot of work to do. And so in 21, it was, is he even a major leaguer? Oh, he hit 22 bombs. Okay. In 2022, it was, is that a flash in the pan? He got off to a terrible start. Is like, ah, well, it was a nice story while it lasted. Then Eric Haas comes roaring back. He says, no, I can hit in the major leagues. I hit 250, 254. Uh, 2023 is going to be, okay, we, we know this guy's back can play. Um, is his glove good enough to warrant giving him these plate appearances? And can he hit righties, which he actually did better than uh, was kind of assumed last season.
0: What about his arm? Because I don't, something. I don't think
1: his arm is good. I do not. He he did make like a midseason adjustment last year that did improve his throwdowns. They were no longer like tailing or fading like like changeups. Um, he caught thirteen runners stealing. He allowed twenty-seven stolen bases. You know his pop times are pretty good. I don't. I don't personally love Eric Haas' arm.
0: Yeah, it's one of those things that's, like, important, but, like, we – it's like, we got to mention it, too. It's part of the profile, but all those other things that you talked well, about.
1: Well, and this year, they are going to be yeah. rules that favor base Steelers. Um, you know, I guess the good news with not bringing in another catcher is, I sounds like we're going to get a chance to figure out Jake Rogers for real. And, look, maybe Jake Rogers asserts himself um, – Haas is, you know, per baseball prospectus, zero throwing runs. So actually uh, average completely, you know, his arm is a wash. It's not bad. It's not good. So the metrics are actually a little more favorable to him than than I would say the eye is.
0: Okay. And, you know, and and pitch calling, I think you've never been overly impressed with his, his pitch calling and sequencing. Is that fair to say?
1: Yeah, for sure. I, I think you could tell a difference between when Haas was in the game and when Tucker Barnhart was in the game last year. Although again, you look at the numbers and their, you know, the, the pitching staffs ERA with both of them behind the plate was very similar. Just a take over over 4. I think it was like 4.03 with Barnhart compared to 4.08 with Haas. Some, that's not exact, but something about about like that. So uh but then again, who were they catching? I I think Haas anecdotally uh, you know when there was a, a guy making his debut or whatever is more likely to have Barnard out there to work with him so
0: maybe that meant
1: more mm-hmm. runs were given up against Barnard yeah good yeah. point on that
0: I'm excited for him I'm yeah, I'm excited for Jake Rogers that's another kind of forgotten guy on this team because you know him and can him and Turnbull make their season debut together that would be beautiful to me They're like two guys that we just forgot about both had Tommy John <laughs> <laughs> and, and two guys, that, Turnbull yeah, more than yeah. Rodgers, but two guys that you know in 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 some fashion have have promise and you know could be
1: a, Turnbull. We, we, we mentioned Spencer Turnbull again at our yeah. segment on the end because I I just think people have totally forgotten about him. So we, we call it. So we call it. We'll be. get to
0: that a little bit a little bit a later. Tease. uh another thing, Cody. Speaking of you know. Talking about guys that need to be able to hit the ball. You wrote about the hitting coaches in baseball this week. Now, first off, did you intend that to be a baseball in general story, or did it become that? Or or were you wanting to go to Tigers and it became like the state of the hitting coach?
1: I kind of always wanted to write about the state of the hitting coach because it's absurd (laughs) 17 teams changed their hitting coach last offseason uh double digit changes again this year only six teams have a hitting coach who has been in the job more than two seasons the average lifespan of a hitting coach right now not lifespan but the average like tenure among guys currently in their jobs is 2.4 years it's crazy
0: i mean why would you ever want to be a hitting coach given those numbers (laughs) right, right. I mean, that's, uh, Um, that's so that, that is insane.
1: Yeah. So, you know, I wrote a story trying to dig into this a little deeper and answer the question of why. And I think there are a few factors that have all kind of combined. Uh, one, we all know it is harder to hit the baseball right now than it has been almost ever in the history of the game. That's due largely to all the advances that have come with pitching. Guys are throwing harder than ever. They're throwing more breaking stuff than ever because they can design their slider and pitch labs that are throwing nastier sliders than ever. And you are facing more relief pitchers who are all nasty uh, than ever. Very tough environment for hitters. Uh, you know, obviously the shift is now taken away. We'll see how much that actually changes things. So offensive numbers are down because it's really hard to hit. Uh, technology has just kind of favored the pitchers. It's beginning to, I think, catch up, and that's led to a wave of younger, quote-unquote, new school hitting coaches, a lot of whom have not actually played in the major leagues at all, um, which is interesting. That combined with, I do think there's merit to the fact, sometimes it's just easiest to blame the hitting coach can't fire the players if you don't want to get rid of the manager or the gm what's an easy thing to do well we'll change the hitting coach we saw that with the tigers this past year i i again look their offense was so bad it's hard to defend bringing back the hitting staff but the team was a disaster as a train wreck all the way and guess who lost their job yeah scott cool uh is it, I You know, the Tigers, I feel good about their new hitting staff. Younger, brighter, forward-thinking. But almost every team in the game has been following this model. And we've yet to actually see it improve league-wide offensive numbers.
0: Well, you know, the, the good way to make the hitting coach look like he knows what he's doing and the staff look like they know what they're doing is to acquire better players. Uh, sometimes... <laughs> Sometimes it is that simple, mm-hmm. and not to take away from you know the coaching aspect because I I do know how important that is, but that's really any sport out there is that like everybody's a good coach when you have LeBron James, you know like every everybody you know Aaron Rodgers hasn't had that many failed head coaches, you know like usually that that tends to win out, and on paper we talked about that earlier. On paper, talent wise, there are good hitters on the team coming up in the system and need to see them need to see them through. And I don't know, I'm sure the staff has been, you know, working with these guys remotely and I think spent some time with Spencer Torkelson. Did I read that, uh, you know, over in Arizona?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Torkelson and Carpenter and a couple other guys who live in the Arizona area met with, uh, you know I think it was I think it was Badar and uh, Keith Beauregard. I could be wrong, but some members of the the hitting staff for sure.
0: yeah, and that's important. and I remember feeling really good about Chris Fetter when you know you, the stories came out that he had like emailed like spreadsheets and workout plans and all that stuff to the to the pitchers. And I'm sure something uh, that is similar has uh, has been done on the hitting staff. Uh, but to me, I hope people read this article and sort of realize their own laziness when they criticized Scott Kuhlbauer last year. (laughs) And look, you know, like, look, not to say that I'm not guilty of that too, but like, I mean, there's just so, I mean, first of all, like, the offensive coordinator deals with one quarterback, right? Basically, you know, in a game. The hitting coach has to deal with every position player on this roster. And like every swing is different. And every, you know, psychologically, every guy is different. Then you have people at the end of their careers who are maybe they're stubborn. You have people that are at the beginning of their careers that need to be taught how to do things a certain way. Otherwise, they're going to go down a really bad path. And then the science is evolving. You know, it's the nature of science, right? The science is evolving constantly. So you got to be on top of so many things. I mean, I I like I said I just hope there's a greater appreciation and also the notion that sometimes when we're stuck and just really narrow minded on like one particular team, you think that y- your team's problems are because Illich sucks or mm-hmm. Al sucks or you know whoever. Sometimes it's just the nature of the game. So I I think this is also an example of the nature of the game is these hitting coaches are really hired to be fired. So I, I hope I hope that came across. Did you, was there anything else that you sort of learned or gained a greater appreciation for while researching, reporting this story?
1: I mean, I think a classic battle between um, the human element and the analytical side of the game. Kevin Seitzer of the Braves is the current longest tenured hitting coach. He's been in the job nine years. More of an old school guy. Kind of had to learn analytics on the fly and... He kept his job because he embraced it, whereas some men of his generation did not. Um, but is there benefit to sticking in the job, to getting to know your players, to have a relationship with them? Ask any hitting coach, and they'll tell you part of the job is being a being a therapist, being a psychologist, because hitting is so mental. Despite all the time you can sit there and analyze um, your swing path, or your attack angle, angle, or what is the pitcher going to do, it's it's an oddly mental exercise at the end of the day. And if you're changing the hitting staff every year or two, like um, how is that coach really going to get, gain a intimate psychological knowledge of his players? Now, Seitzer has been in the job. Um, He seems to be regarded as a good hitting coach. Easy to be a good hitting coach when you have Ronald Acuna and Ozzy Albies and Michael Harris and um, Dansby Swanson and Austin Riley and Freddie Freeman. The list goes on and on. Uh, but Seitzer's first three years on the job, the Braves were terrible. Um, And rather than fire him, they stuck with him. And then he helped these young players get better, proved, you know, they probably helped each other. And uh, I just think it's an interesting anecdote. Wouldn't be that case for everyone. And not every organization has that level of talent. Uh, But I do think, you know, Seitzer is a good example for eh, maybe some of these teams should stick with their hidden coach a little longer.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like I'm on record as saying I'm not a huge fan of like organizational turnover constantly. And it's hard to sort of make that one of your yeah. ethos when the team is bad for so long. <laughs> you know, sometimes changes are needed, but... But yeah, I think that was uh, also one of the more important lessons that uh, that came out from from that story. I thought it was really good. Hopefully, it got a lot of a lot of traction on the uh, general MLB athletes, opposed to just Tigers guys who who are reading you as well. So one, you know, quick little note before we get into the back half of our of our podcast. Uh, it seems to me that. For the Love of the Game has kind of taken on a little bit of a second life, Cody. What, what's that all about?
1: Yeah, if you listened last week or read, you know, I, I wrote a story about um, For Love of the Game, really the story behind the the movie. It's based on a book by an author named Michael Shara. Long story short, his son Jeff is now, uh, they were estranged for a long time. Jeff is now an author in his own right. You can find that story on The Athletic. We talked about it on last week's pod. But uh, I just wanted to share this shout out to Steven McVitie for sharing this with me. He ordered a copy of for love of the game, as I suggested people do the book and sounds like he was one of several people who did that because he got an email from Jeff sheriff. So I'm writing to apologize for the delay in shipping out your order. I've been told by the publisher that they were caught completely off guard by the sudden demand for my father's <laughs> book. Thus they ran out. I ran out as well. Uh Long story short, again, the books have been reprinted, they're shipping out to all those who have ordered them, so um, I just want to thank everyone who read the story, or listened to the pod, and ordered a copy of the book, uh, that that makes me feel good, and I'm sure, although I guess it's causing a little bit of stress for, for Jeff and the publisher, uh, I know it absolutely means a lot to, to both Jeff and, and his sister, Lila, um, and... How about another plug? I finished uh, Killer Angels, Michael Shara's Civil War novel. Uh, I really love history, but I've never considered myself a big, like, war books type of guy, you know? Not not quite right. old enough to be in total dad mode yet. Uh, but let me tell you, Killer Angels, <laughs> wow. One of the better books I've ever read. Um, Kieran, you should read it. I think your dad would like it. I think I think everyone should read that, too. You don't necessarily have to be a Civil War buff to um enjoy that book it might turn you into a civil war buff um after the fact kind of did that with a guy named ken burns who read the book and was then inspired to make his documentary on the civil war
0: Hmm. and a great documentary that is as well basically everything ken does so that's pretty neat it's pretty neat sometimes uh it's kind of a little humbling to see like you can do you know do something and then other people take to it and it makes a positive impact on other people's lives. You know, that's pretty, pretty awesome. And, uh, you know, this guy's legacy carrying on in in ways that were completely unimaginable when he unfortunately passed away too soon. So, uh, that's, that's great. That's, that's, uh, makes me feel good. Makes me feel good. And also, Shout out to people still reading books, man. Hey, like, that's yeah, what, that's there the, we go. <laughs> ordering the physical
1: that, copies too. I love yes. it. Good job.
0: Yeah, we as we yeah. talk about this on a podcast and E. write for an electronic news network uh company or whatever. Uh but yes, yes. Still we're still pro book here. Uh <laughs> all right. Well, as I'm as I'm sort of getting into like, you know, the off season's basically in the home stretch, right? Because we just talked about it spring training only you know, a couple weeks away, or at least, you know, catchers, pitchers reporting, that kind of thing. Post-Super Bowl, we're on, right? You're going to be down in Florida, and so there's not that many sort of like off-season talking point stuff to get to, but so I kind of wanted to gather them all around here, and I tried to dig deep and and look to see what's, what's underneath the surface. What are we not talking about? And I was inspired by this happens all the time if you're on Twitter, by the way, you can follow Cody at Cody Stavenhagen. I'm at Kieran underscore Steckley, our pod pages at turn corner pod. Every now and then, usually it's something political, but every now and then there'll be like this person will tweet out something and it'll be like, you know, this problem in this state or this problem in the country or whatever, and it's like, why is nobody talking about this? And typically, that tweet goes viral. So my thing is like, well, obviously people are talking about it because your tweet went viral. Like, things are being talked about. So I always kind of found it a little ironic. So I'm doing that for this segment on what I call, why is anybody talking about this? So we teased it earlier. We'll go back to it right now, right off the jump. Why is anybody talking about Special Turmoil being back? This guy is good i don't know if you remember he kind of threw no hitter like and he's he was projecting to be a guy that might be like a a three you know could he have been a maybe as high as a two maybe and then you know he gets to tommy john and the na- very nature of it the globe spins the season goes on there's 162 more games and we kind of forget about it why are we talking about spencer why not
1: I have no idea. I think people be sleeping on Spencer Turnbull. <laughs> uh, this guy was worth two point eight WAR in twenty nineteen when he was, you know, raw as an oyster. Uh, twenty twenty shortened season, he threw pretty well. When we left Spencer Turnbull, he had a two point eight eight ERA. He was at one point five F WAR in only fifty innings. He threw a no hitter. We were talking about how he was on the rise, how he was getting more on in the national, uh, more on the national radar. Right. Yeah, I've seen a lot of projections that have Spencer Turnbull as like the number four in this year's Tigers rotation. And I'm like, to me, he's the number two. I mean, I think I've alluded to this before. It does seem like his Tommy John rehab took a little longer than normal. Maybe didn't go super smoothly. So I I suppose we will see what he looks like when he comes back. Um, Olive here is throwing a fit in the background. I apologize once again. Uh, she agrees though <laughs> Spencer Turnbull come on people um I don't know that's really all I have to say like I think I think the Tigers are getting back a very good pitcher. Maybe it takes them a little bit of time to really get back into complete shape but um I, I have a lot of faith in Spencer Turnbull.
0: I do too uh he's a guy that I like he got me to a television set he got me if I lived, you know, in Detroit, like, he would get me to the ballpark, and that's not to say that I interpret him as an actual marquee player, but we talked about, you know, we talked a lot about Eric Haas, man, and, like, like how interested I am in him. I'm just as interested in Turnbull, and the very nature of sports, and especially baseball with, you know, pitchers and arm injuries, where, like, you just kind of... Forget about him, and then when they come back, it's almost like a bonus. Like you're not really sort of thinking about him in the actual roster construction, even though he is part of the roster construction. But you just haven't seen him in a long time. And I mean, I know, I know you'll never forget his no hitter because that was the first one that you were like on on the beat for, and and I, I remember like trying to figure out if we should do anything. It was of course it was a West Coast game, so that made it more complicated. And so like I always remember that, and then. Um, and then, unfortunately, he got the injury. However, I, I still have confidence in that same guy. So I'll, I'll be curious to see how he does. Along the same lines is one, Austin Meadows. So Austin Meadows, just in case people have forgotten. Because, again, a guy who was largely absent, hopefully uh, mentally Physically everything's all good with him. He's he's healthy now. You know, that's the most important thing. But he was basically absent the whole time. The only time we heard his name last season was uh he's trying to work out, but his Achilles is sore, and then you know, eventually they shut it down and said, We'll we'll try again next year. Need I remind people that he was in All Star in two thousand nineteen. And need I remind people That it has been since 2017 that the Tigers had a position player all-star. And again, not counting the honorary Miguel Cabrera of last season. So he has been an all-star as a position player more recently than anybody on that roster. And in 2021, 27 home runs. 2019, the all-star season, 33 home runs. We'll throw out the COVID year because you know that was weird. And last season, like we I, I still remember when that trade went down. And thinking, alright, this is a this is a serious move. It's a serious move to go get Austin Meadows. You give up Paredes and you know who continue to develop good for him. But I'm like, why are we talking about this relatively recent all-star coming back? Hopefully again, all healthy mentally, physically and he could be a real boost to the team. There were a lot of problems that we spent hours talking about that you spent so many column inches writing about that would have been made better with Austin Meadows on this team. Why aren't we talking about Austin Meadows? This guy is basically a free agent acquisition.
1: Yeah, huge. I don't know. People, people are forgetting. Uh, 2021 was a down year, at least compared to 19 and he had 27 home runs. On the Tigers, imagine if someone hit 27 home runs, we'd be throwing a party. <laughs> he only played 36 games last year. Was that year, the but Brandon
0: Dixon year, 2019? Think back
1: to those 36 <laughs> games. He was the toughest at-bat on the team. Uh, Yeah, 2019, home run king Brandon Dixon, baby. Um, twenty, You know, 2022, his walk rate was 10%. His OBP was 347. He did not hit a homer in 147 played appearances, and... Naturally, you would expect that to change. Uh, he was a tough at-bat, uh, still had a 101 WRC plus in that very short sample. Like, huge addition, probably going to be your best hitter, I'd say, pending what uh, Riley Green blossoms into this year. Um, let's, let's not forget about that. Could be, make a, a good difference on this year's Detroit Tigers.
0: For sure. Again, another guy I can't wait to see and, and hope that he does well this year. And if this team turns out to be a positive team, that's going to be like probably number 2-1A reason why this team exceeded expectations. Next one nobody's talking about. So this will be our third season, Cody, doing a podcast uh, together as the season goes on. And so far in our podcast era of Tigers baseball, been some pretty bad starts, pretty, pretty slow, not, yep, not Horrible. great Aprils. So, you know, I'm looking at the schedule and, uh, all right, well, you, you Tampa Bay and Houston, Boston, Toronto, San Francisco, Cleveland, this is it's a tough little stretch here to start the season cody why are we talking about this should we be freaking out are we gonna have a third consecutive april of like one and nine and you know three
1: and 14 yeah uh i don't know if i can <laughs> handle this oh my god you're you're not wrong this first couple months of this schedule first 50 games is just brutal uh, I think it was Scott Bentley who, who put that on Twitter this week. Shout out, Scott. I was aware of how tough the schedule was. i looked at it before, but I really sat down and looked at it again recently, and I was like, <laughs> oh, my God, the Tigers could be playing well, and they could still be out of contention by May again because there is not much of a break uh, unless you better hope the Orioles aren't playing like they were toward the end of yeah. last year because you see them a couple times they could they could be really good, you know, who knows. Seven um, games in
0: April against the Orioles. Seven.
1: Wow. You better hope the Orioles get off to a slow start, man. Um, I don't think I can handle, like, a 7 and 21 start. <laughs> I don't think the fans can handle it. I think I, I, like, I don't know. I really don't want to be miserable by April. I know the fans don't. I know the players and the coaches don't. Um... Now, it's going to be a tall task for the Tigers to even survive uh, the beginning of this schedule.
0: Um, A side note of that, like, do you... in Your time covering Major League teams, which obviously predates, you know, your time on the Tigers beat. Like, does that... Is that something that people on the team, players, managers, other coaches, they even... Is that even... I not want to say on their radar because obviously you know who you're playing, but in terms of like, oh man, like we got this horde stretch. Do they even dwell on that? Is that something they think about at all?
1: Um, you know, Kieran, I'm really just trying to win today's game. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, I mean, they think about it, they're aware of it. AJ, who's saying his win today's game, has his pitching mapped out like uh, two months in advance, you know, is, is well aware of every matchup that can be coming down the pike here. I think players, I, you know, I think the coaching staff in the front office has to be aware of what matchups are looming, what pitchers they're going to be facing, because that could impact how you construct your roster or how you construct your lineup or who's resting this day versus that day. Uh, that's part of the job description. Players, players probably are actually a little more locked in on like the day-to-day, uh, but I think if you're a player, it'd be hard to say, all right, you know, my, my wife's asking me where are we meeting up on the road next? I'm looking and, uh, and uh you know, we're in Tampa and that means, oh, we're facing two really tough lefties and I'm a left-handed hitter. That's probably not going to be a great series for me, you know. There's, players have to be aware of that stuff.
0: Yeah, okay, yeah, I think it's good to know. Uh Speaking of, like, should this be a bad opening stretch and how the fans would react i actually wrote this down before it kind of circulated on twitter a little bit more toward the end of the week but whatever we're gonna go with it uh why is Owen talking about the tied with the angels the tigers are for the longest playoff drought like i think we just are just accustomed to being down in this rebuild and stuff but that was another thing too that kind of like hit me a little bit more i was like dang eight years tied with the angels which i in theory you actually should feel worse if you're an Angels fan and you're tied with the Tigers for the longest <laughs> playoff drought. Yeah. But be that as it may, the Tigers are a proud franchise with proud fans. And uh and so like why are we talking like we probably shouldn't talk about it cuz it's going to make Scott Harris's uh day-to-day uh more difficult with trying to appease a fan base that's desperate, but that's part of it too. Like why are we talking about just how oh my god, like longest playoff drought in the sport? Thank God for expanded playoffs, maybe. Hopefully, if you can get to that yeah, point.
1: I mean, that's crazy to think that the Rockies in the playoffs since then, when the When were the Colorado Rockies last in the playoffs? I'm going to have to look this up now. Um, I think part of it with the Tigers is, like, at least people were still interested in the team through 2016 into 17. It's easy to forget how bad the 2015 Tigers were because they still had star players on their roster the, the colorado rockies were in the playoffs in 2018 i don't remember that at all um
0: <laughs> you know
1: the the tigers it's weird to think it's actually been since 2014 because 15 16 even part of 17 i think there was there was hope the rebuild hadn't full-on started yet so i think it's easy to kind of compartmentalize pre and post rebuild pre and post verlander when in reality Uh, 15, 16, 17 teams were, were not good or, you know, at least 16 probably still underachieved even though they finished in second place. I think that's why maybe it's not quite framed that way. Just how long it's actually been since this team was in the playoffs.
0: Yeah. And yeah, I remember the, I mean, those were the prime years of me in college is, you know, you just knew. Every summer, get to watch you know highly competitive team, and then you know in the fall, while we're all focused on football or whatever, you know, Cody be over at my apartment. We'd be watching playoff baseball and Tigers in the World Series. And I remember I was over at at that old Grove apartment, Cody, when David Ortiz hit that uh hit that just just devastating home run. I I got, I remember exactly where I was. I think I was mid uh I think I was mid beer pong shot and I don't think I won that game <laughs> because I was just devastated. I was like, "Damn it." Uh so <laughs> that's how it goes sometimes, man. Side note, when I did that Fenway Tour, uh f- tour of Fenway Park, I I looked at that spot a lot. Mm. I looked at that spot a lot. I was like, "Uh damn it." Uh, okay, so next next round.
1: I love that. Where were you when I was mid beer punch shot? That's, that's terrific. that <laughs> needs to be in an oral history of that that game or that home run.
0: Yes, <laughs> you always remember where you were. All right, so another why? What is nobody talking about this? That you talked about earlier with the payroll being more last season than this season, and that obviously has to do with the spending spree not ranger spending spree but the spending spree that al went on going into the 22 season notably eduardo rodriguez and javier bias two players that for different reasons you haven't really gotten the return on investment that you want bias just, just didn't have a good year and wardo went through the personal stuff and you know if that's all sorted which it seems like it is he should still he should be worth the contract i would say but they got opt-outs coming up cody and In this era of wheeling, dealing, and it's good for the sport that all these big contracts are being thrown out there, generally speaking, a player is probably going to want to get to free agency sooner rather than later. I don't know how much that applies to Baez. I'm going to guess it's going to apply to Guadalupe Rodriguez. They have an opt-out after this year, if my memory serves correct. And that's something that can't be ignored in terms of... The team sucks again. Are they gonna try to deal one of those guys or more? Probably more Eduardo than Javi. But you see what I'm saying? Like this is something that's gonna come up. We're not talking about this enough, in my opinion. They, two key guys from that free agency class could leave. Ramifications could be buried of of that move, but I don't think we're talking enough about the fact that, like, in a way, this is a con- this is a contract year in a way for these guys.
1: Well, yeah, I think in a way we didn't talk about it enough when they were signed. Like, there's It was like, oh, a five-year deal and a six-year deal. Well, they both had opt-outs after year two. They could easily be two-year contracts. Um, I've been trying to get this this conversation going about Eduardo for a while now, and I think it slowly started to catch on because I think he's a prime trade asset. I think if he has even a, a solid year, it just makes too much sense for him to opt out. Um, Javi, on the other hand, I've seen when it is talked about like, oh, maybe Baez will opt out like Tigers fans, like wanting Baez to opt out. And that's why I'm like
0: wishful thinking.
1: (laughs) Okay. If the Tigers want him to opt out, that's probably a sign he's not going to opt out. Um, again, I (laughs) will see what this year holds. I guess there's always going to be a premium value on, on shortstops, but I just have a hard time seeing another major league team. Willing to commit to Baez later into his thirties, um, it would take a All Star type year for I think the opt out to even be a consideration for him. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of you know agents like their players to test the open market and everything, and, and that makes sense. But uh, Baez has a pretty sweet deal and is going to be getting paid for a few more years. I just I just don't see that one happen.
0: So for the record, Eduardo, his salary jumps from 14 to 18 next season. So that was built in there as a mechanism to try to de-incentivize him from opting out, right? Um, and then he's 18, he's 18 and 24, 16 and 25, and 15 and 26. I feel like that's he could get more. Baez... Is basically 25 million the next two years, and then 24 the last two years of the contract. So his salary only jumps three million dollars uh, to try to de incentivize and opt out. But he's also going to be 31 at that point. So you already talked about this. So just for the record, so like just so the so you guys have an idea of the numbers that those players and their agents are going to be looking at as to whether they decide to opt out. So that is certainly part of it. All right, next one. A little bit of a funny one. Why is no one talking about that the Detroit Tigers play at Comerica Park, sponsored by Comerica Bank, which is now headquartered in Dallas? They moved in 2007 from their Detroit headquarters to Dallas, and it's a little awkward for me, to be honest, to think like, like Little Caesars, Detroit. Ford Field, Detroit. Comerica, Dallas. Uh so I went and looked this up. They the name agreement is until they extended it once. It's until twenty thirty four. Wow. So obviously that's you know, it's not close, but it's not necessarily far away either. These things, you know, uh get planned well in advance. Why is no one talking about it? it's kinda of weird that the ballpark is named after a company that physically moved its headquarters away from the ballpark? Just saying.
1: Well, that's an interesting <laughs> point. I've always just thought it was another cool like Detroit Texas tie. Um you know, I think it was named Comerica from, you know, the day um the day the stadium opened. That's just what people call it. It's Comerica. It's Copa. I think it's. Yeah. It's just so ingrained that you don't really think about it. And Comerica is a big uh bank and there are Comerica branches around here, so it doesn't necessarily seem uh crazy. Now, I I think you know, it's time to start thinking what are we going to, if we're going to rename this thing in 2034, yeah. what's it going to be? The last Almost thing like I want to see like. is Little Caesars Park, man. <laughs> we don't need that. We got, we we have plenty of that around here. Um, you know, Ford's taken, you know, I guess, I guess Chevy could drop some money on this. Now wouldn't that be interesting? Chevy yeah. Park right across the street from Ford Field. That would be, that would be cool. Yeah. Um, otherwise, yeah. like, I, I don't know. Any other, any other suggestions? I don't want to see like, beaumont Healthcare park you know that'd be terrible
0: <laughs> what about uh hitsville stadium how
1: about that? <laughs> well I, I i don't think that's coming with the money for the naming rights but that'd be cool <laughs> well just
0: in terms of what'd be cool you well know, what'd be
1: cool, <laughs> well, what'd I, be I cool does not matter it's about the money <laughs> that's how you hitsville get global life park team,
0: <laughs> the team is finally getting you know got the go the right bats and then it get named hitsville stadium <laughs> i think that'd be great I think, in fact, here, we're, we're putting the call right now. That's going to be the unofficial nickname of the park if the team ever turns it around offensively. We're going to
1: call it Hitsville Stadium. Hitsville. You heard okay. it here first. Rocket Mortgage Park. Come on. We're only, getting, we're only <laughs> going downhill, really, from Comerica.
0: <laughs> I agree. I'm also a sentimental guy where I don't want it to ever not be called Comerica. It was always weird down here <laughs> when it's the Globe Life thing, like you mentioned, like the ballpark in Arlington was just like a great, name, and then Globe Life Field, and now Globe Life, yeah, it's, it, yeah, not a fan, Uh, so hopefully it will remain Comerica, but I do think it's kind of funny that, like, the headquarters moved shortly after, and of course, it was 2007, we all know financially what was going on in 2007, so, all right, next one, why is no one talking about the shifts not being allowed anymore, I feel like we ought to talk about that more every time we sort of, like, project out a player a little bit because specific to lefties obviously Uh, because it almost to me I would think you might want to get a couple more of those guys in your lineup if the main tool that was used against them is no longer allowed you see what I'm saying that might be something that we see that I think smart teams might try to take advantage of I feel like we're not talking about that enough the neutralizing tool of the power left-hander is now out and I don't think we're talking about it that much, as much as we should. And, of course, it applied to other things, too. But that was the most glaring example.
1: Yeah, I, I think it's not getting as much traction like in the public because we just haven't seen it yet. I think once spring training starts, once the regular season starts, we're going to be talking about it um, a lot. Because when a ball gets through the infield, everyone will say, oh, last year that was an out. And I think it'll be a common topic From my perspective, I'm already kind of tired of talking about it because this offseason, every time there's a (laughs) player or coach or executive interviewed, it's, what do you think about there not being a shift anymore? And they give some kind of like boilerplate opinion, which is fine. There's not that much to say about it, especially when we haven't actually seen it yet. Um, It'll be interesting to see how teams prepare and train for all the rule changes Uh, The Tigers in spring training are going to have a pitch clock for everything they do. Live BPS will have a pitch clock. Um, I almost think the the uh, I think the thing that hasn't been talked enough about is the the limitations to pickoffs. Like, how are you going to hold runners when you're only uh, allowed a X number of throws over to first base? And there have been little hints like, could this favor base stealers? I think it could favor base stealers uh an extraordinary amount because i oh, i don't yeah. know how that one's For gonna sure. play out
0: bait them into the pickoff right. and then, then he they can't can do anything
1: get your lead three fourths i mean can you still technically step <laughs> off and throw over is that considered different than a pickoff like i don't even know the answer to this question uh, i think that really changes the pitcher runner dynamic
0: yeah, for sure. That's a great point, too, and something that we'll have to—I'm I'm very curious to see how that plays out. All right, so why aren't we talking enough about Matt Manning? Of course, I say this tongue-in-cheek because you wrote about him this week, but in a way, he, temporarily, he is sort of last-man-standing of this starting pitcher-heavy rebuild of the Avila era. Obviously, Casey Mines with the Tommy John, and we'll see Tarek Skubel, hopefully— you know, toward the back half of the year, but in terms of the guys that like you're about to go down to Florida, you're like, all right, we, you know, we're gonna see Casey, you're gonna see you're gonna see Matt. Like he was always in that conversation. You know, Fayette, Fayette like also was in that as well. But Manning is like last man standing, and this is a pivotal year for him, dude. Like we're no longer in the business of making excuses for Matt Manning. We're just not. And and he was brought out as a part of that community outreach thing last week. And I'm sure he put on a good face for the organization and all that stuff. But like, we're talking about a guy that we're going to know a lot about at the end of this year. In addition, I should say also, cause you put this in the story, we're not pitchers get injured. That's part of it. But there are also things that tend to make you think it could happen And he's more in that category than some guy who has a clean bill of health. So uh, I I feel like we're not talking enough about just how pivotal it is. And it's connected to the Haas thing, the whole catcher situation, like how pivotal a year this is for Matt Manning.
1: Yeah, uh, the the arm is a real concern. Um, A lot of minor injuries that have not yet resulted in a surgery. Guess who had a lot of minor arm injuries that didn't result in a surgery? Casey Mize, Spencer Turnbull. They eventually became surgery. Uh, Jeff Passon's book, The Arm, talks about how much we still don't know about arm health, but it does assert that generally the best uh, predictor of future injury is past injury, so I think that puts Matt Manning at a pretty high-risk category. Sounds like with the help of Professor Robin Lund, he's uh, already made some alterations to his delivery that hopefully will take some of the stress off the arm, the elbow, um, it's really interesting to hear Matt uh, talk about working with Robin. Talk about um, diving into the finer points of pitching. I think a little more than I had ever heard from him. Um, you know, that's always been the concern. Manning has all this physical talent, um, but if we're being real, his um, you know pitching prowess uh, isn't quite the same as a Mize or a Scubal. I hope this is the last Matt Manning story I write. That's like could Matt Manning, you know, right. reach a new level? I think this will be the last one because if he doesn't do it this year, as you said, there aren't really any excuses. This guy has had uh, plenty of time to develop three pitches. He hasn't necessarily done that successfully. Um, there were times last year where his slider could be really good. He has to get that consistent. Um, there, there are certain data points that suggest you know good things but overall the metrics aren't very favorable to Matt Manning he doesn't miss enough bats he doesn't generate enough strikeouts for a guy who's supposed to be a power pitcher that is not encouraging and I I do think this is you know that's the best way to put it after this year no more excuses you either go out and show you can do it or you don't and on top of all that you got to stay healthy which is a whole other concern
0: yeah and I'm Definitely, I'm just gonna tell you this now and prep the listeners. There's probably gonna be about like three or four times during the course of spring training where I'm literally just gonna ask you. So, Matt Manning, how is he? Just how how is he? How is he handling his day to day? Not like how does he do like in the bullpen necessarily, or you know the spring training games. Like how? Because the the rep on him, and I don't think I'm speaking out of turn, is that like Casey was a real serious guy. You know, Tarek's a real serious guy, and Manning's just a little bit more of a bro, uh, and and so, and that's fine. Yeah, I don't I'm, want to I'm upset
1: not... anyone, but I yeah, I think that's like the yeah. I think that's just uh, the truth. I don't know if it's bro is the right label, but he's he's a different personality yeah. than Mizen and Scooble in a little bit of a way that he requires um, more coaching, and probably he's a little more stubborn to take not to take coaching. But to actually implement these things, like yeah.
0: So I want. So I'm uh, gonna want. I'm just gonna ask you like periodic updates about how he is because like this is now the time that the grown ass man has to come out, and not to say that he hasn't before, yeah. but this is again the the pivotal year. You know, I hope this doesn't cross a so negative. Out of
1: fairness, look, someone someone snipped at us in the comments for for kind of making fun of like why was Matt Manning brought to the community thing. That's probably a good first start. Shout out Matt Manning yes. for being willing to go, for being willing to represent his team, for hanging out with the community. Uh in terms of going about the day-to-day, being a grown ass man, that's a step in the yes. right direction. That's a that's a great it was awesome that Matt did that that he showed up. Uh doesn't necessarily translate to success on the field, but if you're looking for signs of growth and maturity, hey, you know, Matt Manning was willing to leave uh, Florida weather and come hang out in Detroit a couple days and spend time with the community in the winter. That's shout yeah, out, shout Matt, out good Matt. Job.
0: And I, yeah, I hope people don't interpret that as anything more than it was. We thought it was funny right. and yeah, you know, right. it's typically the guy who's on the fringe is typically not what goes to these things. But anyway, shout out him. He did, uh, did a great job and hopefully, and I'm sure he's taking his, his job seriously. That's not what I meant by bro. I hope people don't interpret it that way, but just different personalities from the seriousness of, of a Meisner school. So, yeah. <laughs> all
1: right. Hopefully, we will avoid any further,
0: like... Controversy. <laughs> uh, you know, yeah, all right. Last yeah. one real quick, Cody. Why are we talking about a farewell season for Miguel Cabrera?
1: Because the last five years have been, like, one big farewell season, and we're exhausted of talking about it.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's like, I want him to have one of these things, but it, one of the greatest right-handed hitters of all time, one of the greatest hitters of all time, I'd like for him to get his due uh, throughout the year. So hopefully that's something that does come about. But I feel like it should be, like, talked about every— it better be talked about a lot on MLB Network when spring training starts.
1: Well, I mean, it it, it will. And this is another thing I'm going to get tired of. It's going to be like, Miguel, what was it like when you got that, you know— portrait from the you know the orioles or whatever because he's gonna get a little gift from every team and it's gonna be nice but it's also gonna be kind of overkill and as we talked about last year mlb burned his like ceremonial all-star appearance they did it last year and at the time last year i was like so you just do this again Mm -hmm. next year i feel like now you kind of have to but then it's like so miguel gets two like honorary all-star appearances (laughs) Uh, albert only (laughs) got one that's kind of messed up you know like (laughs)
0: That is true that is true uh, we again, we talked about that last year it's like we don't really want it this year the next year.
1: so look I'll be covering and I'll be writing about it this is yeah will be the final days of an all-time great appreciate it go see Miguel while you can mm-hmm. yes. but um yeah.
0: all right anything else Cody you want to get off uh,
1: I think I think that's all I got for now
0: all right well. Spring trains around the corner. Hope you guys are following him on Twitter at Cody Stavenhagen. I'm at Kieran underscore Steckley. Podpage at Turner Corner Pod. Please subscribe, rate, and review. Quick reminder, I will be in Detroit for the home opener into the weekend. So really excited for that. Hope to meet as many of you guys as possible. Have a beer or two or seven and uh and have a great time over there in Detroit. So for Cody Stavenhagen, I'm Kieran Steckley. Everybody have a great week.